You're listening to Amphibicast. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining me again. This week's going to be part two of the ongoing series that I've been doing with Ivan from Tesoros to Columbia. Uh, last week, we started off with part one, which was the past. We talked about many of the, the really, really difficult challenges that Ivan had to go through in order to be able to make Tesoros to Columbia the entity that it is today. And if you haven't done so, go back and give that a listen. Um, Ivan's story is just amazing. And I feel like someone really, someone's got to make a movie or write a book about Ivan's life because the stuff that he's been through is absolutely incredible. And again, if you haven't listened to episode one, it's there's a lot of stuff in there. There's a lot of really, really great content. Go back and give it a listen because it's going to definitely help you understand tonight's episode, which is going to be the present. And in addition to Ivan... I'm going to be joined by Julio Rodriguez. Julio, of course, has been on the show a couple of times. And uh, since Julio and um, Ivan, you know, are basically run to Storos to Colombia, we're going to talk about what they're up to presently and some of the challenges associated with exporting frogs and, and importing them from Colombia. We're going to talk about CITES and some of the difficulties and the challenges that go along with this type of work and the really the, the premise behind conservation through commercialization. And... Uh, before that, of course, the usual stuff. I want to thank everybody who left nice five-star reviews. Uh, always a plus. And I want to give a shout-out to my newest patron. I want to give a shout-out to Matthew Long. Matthew, thank you so much for your patronage. Matthew recently became a $5 a month uh, patron on Patreon. And, of course, I want to thank him for his support. Great way to support the show is to become a patron. $5 tier will get you a shout-out at the beginning of an upcoming episode. But I also have tiers as low as a dollar a month if you want to uh, support the show in that way as well. And of course, other ways to support the show, of course, check out the merch shop in the link tree. I've got t-shirts and all sorts of stuff. And I'm thinking about getting some new, newer updated designs up there. So check that out every so often to see if I've updated anything new. And uh, of course, you can get your 10% discount off of an, an in-situ ecosystems vivarium if you make the purchase through the link in the link tree. 10% discount just for being a fan of the show if you make your purchase through that link. And uh, of course, there's a link in there as well to support Panamanian frog conservation that has nothing to do with me. That's just donations that go straight to Panamanian Frog Conservation, if you're interested in that project as well. Uh, everything from there goes to Project Golden Frog. And uh, other than that, I'm ready to go. This is the first time I've ever done a two-guest show where I've got two people on. So it's going to be a little bit of a learning curve. I hope everything goes well. I'm sure it is. Everything's going to go well. And uh, I just want to apologize in advance if my voice isn't really up to par. I'm not really, not really feeling too great, so I'm kind of... Um, I'm kind of relying on Ivan and Julio to kind of carry the show because uh, I'm running out of steam. But I'm doing my best. So if my voice isn't quite on point tonight, uh, that's why. And, you know, the show, the show must go on. So, all right, let's get into it tonight. So, guys, I want to welcome you both on. I, uh, this is the first time I've ever had two guests on the show at the same time, and I'm hoping that we can get through it without any without any hitches. How, Julio, Ivan, how are you guys doing tonight? Pretty, Pretty good. good. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's my, it's my pleasure. I know uh, Ivan and I talked in part one about the past of Tesoros and everything that went into creating it and all the hurdles and everything that that you guys had to go through and uh, today we're going to focus on what you're up to presently but um, before we get into that I want to just if you guys could just explain to the listeners what your official titles are uh, with Tesoros because you guys are you know basically the the highest ups but like what capacities are you to in relation to the whole business plan here 
Um, let me go first, Julio. Um, uh, well, I am the founder and current manager and general manager of Tesoros de Colombia. I am in charge of the whole operation of breeding and exporting uh, legal frogs uh, worldwide from Colombia. We are the only facility that has the license to do that. Uh, and I'm planning to to keep it doing it for a long time. And, I mean, I don't I don't work directly for Tesoros. Um, you know, my time is volunteered as far as, you know, helping them out by doing the imports into the into the country. Um, you know, so we kind of developed a you know, a friendship over the years. Um, so and then, you know, just kind of grown from there. Well, two words. Oh, actually, it's three. Conservation through commercialization. Would one of you care to elaborate on that? Oh, excuse me, elaborate on that in terms of what that means as a as a platform in terms of like what the Soros does. Yeah, I even can tell you more about that. Yeah, well, um, as I said on the in the first part of the podcast, the, the idea of you know being a conservationist in Colombia is not. I mean, I didn't want to just stay, you know, trying to ask people to avoid destroying uh, natural ecosystems. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people that are already doing that, and it's in some time, in some cases, it doesn't work. So the whole idea was was to create a practical solution for conservation uh, purposes. So the whole idea of creating a, a, a a uh, legal breeding farm to stop the the over exploitation of um, of uh, some organisms and in this case poison frogs uh, that occurred for decades for you know and 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 devastated several populations all around the country was was the best way to 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 you know to uh, to support conservation in a practical and active way in Colombia, you know, for a conservationist in Colombia, you, you need to, you know, start doing something to solve the problems, not just, you know, uh, stop the the future problems. We, we are already uh, losing or we have lost a lot of, of the natural populations of, of uh, hundreds of species. So we cannot, we can't just, uh, you know, keep just preserving what is left but we have to restore and restock the population of, of, of some species so this is this project of uh, wildlife farming is perfect what went into the first import because i know so much went into just getting to soros off the ground if one of you wants to tell the listeners like what was the what was the first import like from from start to finish like which, which species was involved and how did it go and you know how did people end up receiving frogs from Colombia for I guess I don't know if it would be the first le the first legal time right it would be the first time frogs are ever exported legally from Colombia right yeah I mean Ivan can tell you the hit the Colombian side and then I can explain the the US yeah. side of it yeah let me go first again thank you um yeah we we started uh, as we didn't get the the license for the seven species we were breeding uh, at that moment, we started uh, uh, sending 
Brendo uh, uh, Bares and Philo Bares uh, in the beginning because we didn't have the license for exporting the Ofaga uh, frogs that we have bred at the, at the farm because it took three more years in order to convince the, the authorities that we have set the, the correct guidelines and protocols. And it was really difficult because, you know, dealing with people that doesn't understand what is what it's all about, it, well, it was it was really slow. But we started uh, sending Bates and Philobates, Aurados uh, and Terribles um, before. And we, we, we managed to live, you know, with that uh, small income um uh, while while we prepare the first legal shipment or of of Faga Alemania and of Faga Estonica, which was the salvation, the financial financial salvation of Tesoros, because we have as as I said in the, the last podcast, um we have managed to 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 accumulate a huge uh debt, uh, financial debt over the years. Uh, due to the operation of the Soros, so it was it was really difficult to to maintain uh, uh, to maintain the Soros alive until 2015. Uh, that was uh, the year in which we we sent the first uh, shipment of of Ofagas to to United States. Um, before that, um, uh, well, we 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 focused on on getting the. The, all the all the proper uh, documentation and and the arguments that were enough for the authorities to to approve this uh, this was uh, this was something that is that, that many people thought that it was impossible to to do in, in Colombia but finally we we were we were able to arrange the the first uh, shipment of these sofagas um, I remember when. When we uh, started to 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 plan this first shipment to New York City, uh, there was a lot of uh, anxiety. It was really stressful. Uh, we were we knew how to ship frogs, but it, it was you know nothing compared to this box that we were going to send. Um, there was uh, a lot of uh, of planning, there was a lot of uh, meetings with the authorities, and and uh, and uh, and the, you know we developed a new uh, system of packing, and the most important thing was the was to you know try to figure out how to do it in the best way. Uh, it was a very stressful stressful uh, stage of my life. Yeah, um, I mean, I've done imports from Europe prior to doing anything from Tesoros, but um, this one was like no other, like Ivan said before, um, you know, and so the fact that there was a shipment coming from Colombia, it automatically raised a red flag with U.S. Fish and Wildlife. Um, so it was pretty much for the past couple of days, I would say maybe a week prior to the shipment landing. You know, I, I was dealing with paperwork with U.S. Fish and Wildlife, calling U.S. Fish and Wildlife. Um, the day before the frogs were coming in, I get a call from U.S. Fish and Wildlife from an agent saying, hey, you're bringing in poisoned dart frogs. You're not bringing them in. You cannot bring these animals in. 
and she was and i try to explain to her that they're they're not actually poisonous you know that there's a difference between poisonous and venomous um which i guess that's where my mistake was because the minute you try to educate them that's when they get really ticked off at you um and then i ended up calling u.s fish and wildlife about three more times until i finally got somebody on the phone that was knowledgeable about the dar frogs you know and they were able to clear it um you know as far as landing um from by the time we you know then going through customs and and all that is a totally different experience it was just like you know we we got there the night before of course the shipment got in none of us slept um just simply because we were all nervous and freaking out about it um you know it was a box that was obviously worth a whole lot of money so and uh so we get to the airport you know frogs get there on time inspector comes in from u.s fish and wildlife inspects everything and then he's like if these numbers don't match i'm gonna take legal action against you you're like well, what are you talking about what do you have to be so aggressive like <laughs> you know so but everything worked out fine with that and then we go to u.s customs his customs has to clear it and they were like you know so we're filing the paperwork there and some lady you know just kind of looks at the paperwork and she's standing in front of me she looks at her watch and she goes oh it's lunch time she drops the paperwork in front of me and she's like you know it's lunch time i'm leaving and uh and i was like wait wait who's gonna help me you know <laughs> yeah so it it, it was kind of like a stressful day because we spend more more time at customs than we ever did before you know uh thankfully now nick from garden state dark frogs helps me out a lot with clearing customs and uh so he he saves me a whole lot of time half the day at the airport you know at least so what was the i mean what what was the reception from people in the united states because i, I mean obviously you know colombia has some you know some some unique exports we'll we'll say so i mean i'm sure that people might have been apprehensive to get frogs from colombia for the first time just you know just because of that that stigma i guess rare frogs colombia whatever how was it getting buyers for this first shipment? Like, how did you get people lined up to, to purchase the first shipment of frogs? I mean, I don't think we had any apprehension as far as like um, the group of people that they're actually supported to Soros. Um, I mean, Ivan can tell you, um, I don't think we had any apprehension when it comes to that. Um, we did get some backlash when the frogs came in um, people that were complaining about how they would never offer to them, but then they were also saying, oh, but I would never pay that, but they still should have been offered to me. Um, you know, so, but I even can give you more of a background as far as, like, getting support, um, you know, and whether or not he had any issues selling any other frogs. Yeah. Uh, well, we can remember that you know prior to this to this um, shipment, this first shipment, we we were broke several times. We 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 were depending on donations to survive for years, and we were paying loans, and, and we were of course uh, the most of the staff was was not being really paid at all. 
myself included. I I managed to have my first uh, uh, salary in 2019. So uh, everything was uh, was you know was uh, was used to fund Tesoro's operation. You know, so these persons that uh, helped us in the past with donations, with uh, uh, supporting us by doing things, uh, guiding us to, to talks and um, helped us. Uh, of course, they, they needed to be in front of the list of people that should be offered the props because it, it is fair. I mean, it's the only way to deal in a, in a community in which people care about a project and the project care about the people, but I mean, it's not. It's, it, it, it is. It should be uh, balanced to everywhere, and we finally end up sending the list to everyone. But of course, at the at the beginning, we had a limited list, and of course, we wanted and we were transparent with this. We wanted to 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 give something back to the people that that believed in us and and send and and send money or supported us while we didn't have even the license yet if, you know they could have you know even lost the money that they send us as support because if you if we didn't get the the license we were never going to we we're, we're never were going to be able to to ship any of fragas so this is why we we decided to to do it this way. And how many frogs were in the first sh the first shipment? Like how many did you did you pack them all in one box or did you do multiple boxes? How did you decide how many would would go into the first shipment? Mm, I I have two. I don't remember how many exactly frogs. Do you remember, Julio? I, I think it was two boxes. Um. No, it was one. It was one large box. I actually still oh, have the box in my garage, believe it or not. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so it, it was one large box, and I would say probably I think there was about ninety-five fagas in there. Yeah, it was a large shipment. And I'm assuming you guys probably were like really relieved when everything came in, and it was it it went because I mean me I. I I totally sympathize with you about being up all night, like worrying. I mean, I would have been driving myself nuts too. Uh, I mean, how, like, how did it feel once the shipment had come in, everything had cleared customs, and you were ready to get frogs into the buyer's hands? Like, that must have been a real big, uh, a good feeling, right? Yeah, um, I remember the, uh, about that day. I was in. I, I I traveled to New York in order to receive the box and to check you know for the first time with this uh, species how to improve for the next uh, shipments because once you leave you have you need of course you need to you need to have a, 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 a permit to move the frogs and that permit uh, well you you can you 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 can travel to the airport but, but if you or if something happens you cannot go back to the farm with the frogs because you need another permit and that will take another eight days to be issued. So I remember that the the the, the time to to give the box to the airline was was uh, almost over 
we were discussing with Julio at the same time uh, if if we should you know just sleep with the frogs from the farm to the airport or not. And in the last ten minutes of before the we we didn't have the time to, in, the, enough time to get to the airport and and, and bring the box to the airline. Uh, they finally said, "Okay, we are going to accept the 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 the, the box." I remember that 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 the, I said to the to the guy in Colombia, "said Okay, you need to break the the record uh, about you know to 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 get in time to the airport because you only have one hour and a half, and normally it takes two hours." So he was you know driving like like, like crazy. In order to get to the to the to the airline on time, and meanwhile, of course, I, you can imagine the stress for that, and and we didn't sleep the last the the, the night before, as Julio said. Well, after we got the the frogs, after we opened the box, and the, all them all of them were alive, and we uh, give them to the owners, the new owners. I remember that I fell asleep like like for twenty hours. You know, I, they they thought they thought that I was dead. And I, it was like uh, the first proper sleep in months for me. So this is is funny, but yes, they, they I think they were going to get inside the room and start poking me with a with a with a stick or something to find out if if I was. Uh, sleeping or, or if, uh, if I was dead and what about you I, Julio? Sleep I, I, I went home and I started playing with my frogs I didn't sleep for I didn't get much sleep that night either but I, I did sleep better than I did the night before for sure <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I know you have a better tolerance for lack of sleep than I do. Anyway, going on those late night uh, fishing trips, that I'm asleep. Yeah. I'm asleep <laughs> long before. I, just I, the, private joke between me and Julio. We're both into fishing, but I'll, I'll get off that topic. Um, I want to get into more of the the specifics that go into shipping, and um, why don't we start off with. I mean, now that obviously the source is up and running, you've, you've done the first shipment, it, it went successfully. Let's go through the process that, that has continued since. Why don't we start off with the paperwork, like uh, the CITES paperwork? What goes into filling out CITES paperwork and getting a shipment to be ready and, you know, shipped out of the country into into the U.S.? Okay, well... Uh, I mean, the U.S. probably is not as difficult like other countries in terms of paperwork, but it is difficult because uh, there's a lot of things that must be ready in order to plan a shipment. Um, Colombia is is extremely slow in everything, so I will I will I can tell you that uh, it's almost it's at least a two month preparation before sending a box. These uh, two months, uh, in, uh, you, you need to ask for the CITES, to the CITES office, the Environmental Ministry here in Colombia. They will check on the quota that they have assigned to you for uh, per species. And that uh, will take, uh, you know, the record time has been two weeks and the, 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 the worst time has been two months. So you have to start two months before 
um, closing orders and giving and asking the, the authorities to, to issue this, the Colombian CITES. Um, after that, when you get the CITES, then you go uh, to the customs agency. You have to hire a customs agency to, to deal with the, the, all the shipping. And then um, they will they will check on check on the airline because not all airlines traveling from Colombia to United States will take the frogs. That's incredible, but some of them will have said in the in the in the past that those are dangerous animals and they they want they they want uh, uh, transport those kind of uh, uh, dangerous animals for their staff. That is incredible, but still the the the, the problem of uh, lack of knowledge is 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 there. Um, once we get the the airline itinerary and and the and the reservation, um, we have to start planning inspections. That will take at least ten working days before the shipment. Once you get the, for example, you got the date for the for the reservation, you have to to send letters to the authorities to get the inspections. How many inspections are per box per shipment? At least five inspections from different authorities in Colombia. Some environmental authorities, police inspections, um, health inspections, custom inspections, and airline inspections of the frogs. So every frog is inspected physically uh, in most of the cases by each one of these authorities. So it can, you can imagine how we, we had to deal to develop a proper packing system in order to for them to be able to inspect the frogs, com compare them with the with the information and the paperwork that is that is uh, traveling with the box in order to not uh, affect or stress the frogs. This is why we 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 have these unique um, containers, because we have learned through the through the years how to you know uh, deal with inspections and stress frogs. Um, normally, um, no, our frogs are not having any issues during transportation. But of course, you can imagine that we are always crossing fingers that the airline staff will do their their job in a proper way. Because we also, you know, we contact the airline and we we always recommend the box as it was like, you know, plutonium, something like that. So they have to deal with the extreme care with the with the box. But yeah, but but, but that's something that that we cannot control. So 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 we we always suffer a little bit, you know, while the 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 box is being is being shipped. Uh, and normally, the, the, the frogs will arrive perfectly in the old end. Do you like to group shipments um, in terms of like maybe one big shipment every few months rather than doing many smaller shipments? Like, is it is it easier to make one big shipment as opposed to multiple smaller ones? Yeah, we, we, we try to, to send uh, only two shipments uh to united states each year um it's because we have you know it, it all started with uh the, the the way the frogs breed here you know they have two big uh uh, uh periods 
during the year in which they will breed because uh, for the people that, that haven't traveled they haven't traveled to the tropics yet the at least in the new tropics here in in, in the north of south america we have two we have four seasons, but it's not the same seasons that you have in, in the United States. Four seasons that is two dry seasons and two humid seasons or rainy seasons. And because of this, um, the frog breeding will will be affected because the 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 the, the farm is located in a place in which they the, the frogs, you know, they are in tanks. I mean, we have more than 300 tanks in which they are located. Tanks that resemble the, the normal tanks that you will have in the United States, but the difference is that they can uh, experiment the, the the environmental changes, the changes in the in the pressure, uh, the barometric pressure, changes in the humidity, changes in the um, temperature, lightning, everything. They can experiment that. It's one of the 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 key the keys for the success of the source. You know, and and because of that, they will breed more two times per year. And because of that, we are sending everywhere uh, two shipments, shipments per year. This is the reason why we prefer to do it this way. And does, is weather a factor in that as well on the, the U.S. side? Because I know that, I mean, here in New York, it, it, it right now when we're recording this, it's the end of December. You, your listeners are hearing it in January, but... I mean, it's freezing up here, and same thing in the summer. Conversely, you know, it can go up to 85, 95, and I'm always reluctant to have even, like, insects shipped during extreme extreme seasons. Do you stagger it so that it's more amenable to whatever climate's going on here in the U.S.? Yeah, we have we have made some sort of synchronization, sorry about my English. Uh, we, we went to... to, to um, uh, 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 focus on sending during the spring or the fall uh, seasons of the year because uh, a few months before that we have the, the, the breeding uh, 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 heights of the, of the species. So now it's working like this. So this is why we will release the list, the first list, or always at the beginning of the year and the second list uh, during summertime and this is this is how it works is there a certain age that you wait to ship frogs out like do you hold them back until they're a certain age out of the water yeah they, they must be uh, three months or more older to be able to be considered as uh, as uh, as a frog that can that can travel. Before that, we don't feel that the frog will, will be you know strong enough uh, to to you know they they they, they 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 can survive. But we would like to send a quality frog to the the person that is that is paying us to to have a perfect frog. Is there anything that you do to prepare them beforehand? Like, do you? Like overfeed them? Do you like how do you how do you prep them for travel? Because I'm sure that I mean for any animal, but especially frogs, a, a long plane journey and then having to go through customs on both ends. How do you get them prepared so that they last during shipment? Yeah, of course we 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 feed them at libitum, of course with everything that the 
they, they, they should uh, they should get um, the whole idea is that they 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 should be uh, completely um, uh, unstressed. They, we we prefer to pack to pack them during nighttime, you know, because they will be uh, sleeping. So it's easy to handle them, to put them in the container. And what what, what is going to happen is that once you once you close the box, is going to be the largest night in their life. So they will keep, you know, without they will they will keep it like in in a way that 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 that, that is still nighttime for uh, longer. So they won't uh, they won't uh, use their energy, and and they won't move. And uh, the only problem are the inspections. But uh, but uh, normally they they will you know deal with that even you know in in larger. Um, uh, uh, distances like uh, you know sending frogs to Asia like Japan or Indonesia, we have sent uh, frogs there and we haven't la haven't uh, had the losses. So it means that the, probably the, the the way we prepare the frogs, the young frogs, and and the way we pack are a very good uh, way to do that. Yeah. Anyway, we are always uh, trying to improve. The, the, this, this, this way to send frogs. What does the typical container look like? You, you mentioned before that they're very, very specific. I know in, in the U.S., shipping from state to state, a lot of times people will use a small deli cup with either paper towel or, or some sphagnum moss in it. When you actually package them, what does the container look like? Well, the container is, is, is probably look like the, 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 the typical ones that you use locally in the United States, you have round ones with the top uh, that that is that you can remove. Uh, but the bottom, the, the, the bottom, on the bottom side, we put uh, some, um, uh, it is divided in two. One is a foam that is going to stay dry and the other one, the other half is going to have some paper towel that is, that is going to be humid. So they can choose where to sit while they are being transported. And also um, they have uh, all the, the sides of the container are, are, are they, you, you have a sticker in which uh, it will, it will, it will uh, be, uh, it will become a visual barrier. So uh, the frog can avoid, uh, you know, uh, being, being, uh, observe only from, and, and then you have only one um, area in which you can see the frog. And on top of the container, there's another sticker that will cover the whole area. And but but also you can lift a part of the sticker so you can check on the frog from 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 above. So so you can you you know you can uh, compare uh, the frog that you're receiving with the one that you have on the, your ID, individual ID that you are receiving from us. So without taking, actually taking the frog out of the container. This is why we we think we we have a very good uh, way of packing the frog. It's definitely very sophisticated. Julio, when the package arrives, I mean, obviously we, we talked about the first import and some of the challenges that went along with that. But when the package gets off the plane, 
fish and wildlife inspection shows up like wh- what happens does someone just open up the box and look at every single frog like what what's what happens during like a fish and wildlife inspection yeah i mean typically you know depending on the inspector most of the time they will allow me to come in with them during the inspection um you know just in case you have any questions you know um there's been a couple of times when they tell me you can't come in um you know so i kind of just have to wait outside and you know hoping that they're unpacking the frogs into you know a room stabilized temperature environment rather than just right on the tarmac or in a warehouse um so yeah i mean it's uh they count every every frog every species um you know and they can they match it up to the CITES paperwork uh you know everything has to be you know accounted for there and uh you know other than that i mean it's it's usually it's been pretty smooth other than having to wait for them to get to the airport you know um sometimes they they take a while to get there other times they're right on time so now these are this is like any fish and wildlife officer or this is people who are specifically like delegated to this type of work what i mean is like you know say you're out hunting or fishing and like fish and wildlife shows up to check your license or whatever is this the same people or they have people who are specially trained for for imports Uh, i'm not sure if it's the same people that that do go out and manage uh you know i would say people that are that are hunting and stuff like that but I, i don't see any reason why it wouldn't be they're all trained to do the same thing um, I don't think I've gotten the same inspector more than twice, um, you know, but there are a couple of people that, you know, I've developed a relationship with them now, so they kind of know who I am. Um, so when a shipment does come in, you know, they don't, they know there's nothing that's going to raise a red flag in there. I mean, they still do inspect the frogs, but they don't give me a hard time as they did, you know, at the beginning of, of, of the shipment. You know, the first shipment was, you know, obviously because it was the first shipment that, you know, automatically raised a whole lot of red flags and a whole lot of questions, you know, so, but ever since then, things have been a lot smoother, you know, with U.S. Fish and Wildlife inspections. I mean, do they look more, more favorably upon Tesoros just because of everything that's i mean a lot of effort has gone into this we're not just talking about somebody importing like wild caught frogs you're obviously you're exporting farm frogs out of colombia i mean i don't know if that gets you like brownie points with fish and wildlife at all but has that helped smooth things out just because they know that they're coming from this type of source oh yeah absolutely i mean the fact that they're after bred animals you know absolutely makes things a lot a lot easier you know um they definitely you know, some like some of the people, I would say every single person that they send out for inspection, you know, pretty much knows about the frogs and is knowledgeable about the frogs, um, you know, that I've, I've dealt with. Uh, you know, they even know, yeah, these are different morphs, you know, there's the same species, different morphs, so they kind of know that, um, you know, without me having to tell them or explain that to them. So they already know what it is. Yeah, that's an interesting point, uh, the amount of variability that occurs between the same species. I, I could, I mean, I could see someone getting tri- tripped up on that, especially since certain species look very, very similar, and some members of the sp- same species look absolutely nothing alike. Um, what about, 
you know, while we're on the topic of species and morphs and locales, how does the market vary over time and how does Tesoros keep up with that? I mean, in, in my notes here, I have um, Terabilis as, as one of them. I mean, you, if one of you wants to tell us about the, you know, the, the market trends and how that affects everything, that will be uh, interesting to hear. Um, well, we are, um, we are registered as a profit company, but I don't see any profit, you know, other than, you know, satisfaction, satisfaction and conservation satisfaction, no profit at all, because we haven't gotten any profit yet after 15 years of work. Um, because we have been working um uh, trying to, to to generate to create a network of breeders worldwide of the of the colombian frogs uh, everywhere so the wild animals that are still in the jungle will be left alone. That's the whole idea. And uh, by doing, you know, by by trying to 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 manage the tesoros uh, costs and prices, we have been able to to de decrease um, the prices up to thirty percent every three or four years since the beginning. In the case of the terribles, I remember. Uh, in 2013 or 14, we were sending the first ones um, uh, at almost $140. It was something, they were really expensive because they were the first ones. And we were, as I said, completely broke. We owe a lot of money and and we find a, um, an agreement with the, 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 the people that were importing those frogs in order to help us, they were importing them at that price. Right now, we have been offering frogs uh, much uh, 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 price, uh, at prices that are much uh, uh, lower, uh, uh, starting from 45 to 50 or even $60 per frog to release depending on the on the amount that they are buying and it's the same frog but it's way way too way cheaper than in the beginning and why is this it's not because the market i mean the market can can buy frogs up to 150 dollars per frog but we are doing this in order to help the network of buyers and breeders of terribles that are over there also by doing this is not good for the tesoros finances as you can imagine we are not getting the 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 enough income to 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 get profit but uh, the, the 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 native and wild populations of terribles are safe this way nobody is going to go to the colombian rainforest in in the pacific coast which which is a, a little bit dangerous to 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 in order to capture and smuggle philobates terribles anymore 
So by doing this, the Soros is stopping completely the the poaching of this species, even though the Soros has to sacrifice uh, having uh, a proper income. But as I said uh, in the beginning, and as and, and as and this is why we have volunteers in different parts of the world, is because the Soros is working toward conservation, and and is working. Uh, um, I think it's the 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 the, the, figure, the figure of that 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 most resemble a non-for-profit organization being a profit organization. It's it's it's, it's extremely difficult to explain, but uh, we 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 work for the frogs. We work for the for the network of the community, international community, and we work for you know for uh, being happy. This is this is this is the way we, we are doing this, and this is why we our prices are going to be to drop in the future. Here's something that I kind of just came up; it wasn't even on my outline, but um, I mean, obviously, when many people start a business, the the ultimate goal is is growth, and you want to continue to keep up with the market and continue to generate profit that hopefully will you know will uh, continue to grow and expand as the business grows with this type of model obviously the the idea is to really inundate the market with all these frogs so that they're no longer coveted to be poached from the wild or whatnot do you see tesoros like is the goal of tesoros to accomplish that goal to eliminate smuggling through this process and then kind of like cease to be or just kind of taper off like what's what's the long term goal that you're looking for? Because obviously, if you're not if you're not jacking up prices, you're making prices more reasonable to deter um, poaching and, and stuff like that. How do you like? What's the plan to stay in business long term, if if any? Yeah, our strategy, of course, the, our main goal is to stop the the the, the illegal traffic of frogs from Colombia. Because as as, as I said, um, we had a very difficult uh situation here in terms of conservation for most for many of these species because not it's just it's not just habitat conservation but in many places you can see that that the population of these frogs have been uh, devastated for poaching you know so the idea is that if we if we are able to stop completely the poaching of wild frogs for the wildlife trade we will be, you know, we have been uh, successful on our mission. Um, what was the second question? Sorry, uh, just what the long-term goal is, and I'm, I know we're going to oh. talk about that in in, in the next uh, episode. But um, I mean, I'm just like, for for example, um, you know, like like my goal with this podcast, like, I'm not in this to make money or get rich. That that's not my goal. Um, my goal is similar to what you do. I, I want to create advancements in, in people's knowledge base and understanding and be able to share the information that I've gotten from other people with as many as possible. But I mean, my, my long-term goal is not to, you know, become like Amazon or, you know, some major oil company. I'm not out there to become a millionaire. I mean, what do you, what, what's like, what's your long-term goal in terms of like how you're going to manage profit and, and whatnot in the future? Because obviously it, it seems like if your goal is to reduce the price of frogs, um, 
how do you plan on managing to Soros in the long term? Like, is, is growth something that you're looking for or you're looking to kind of stay even keel with where you are? No. Uh, yes. Uh, our strategy is to get more species that are affected for the legal uh, trade or, of, of wildlife from Colombia. Uh, we, the strategy from the beginning was to, you know, to grow, to bring more species and to adapt the model of, of bringing them, sending them to a, to a community that should be supported from, uh, by us and uh, do the same thing again and repeat it in order to, to, to cover a, a big amount of species that are, com that are currently uh, well, uh, you know, poached for commercial, for, for illegal purposes. That's the whole idea. The problem is that, you know, the, that was the strategy 15 years ago when we created Tesoros. That was the strategy five years ago when we asked for, uh, for, the, for the new um, um, license modification in order to bring on more species. And, but now it's been really difficult uh, having in, in mind that, um, you know, the, the, the world has changed and people uh, that doesn't have uh, any knowledge about what is needed to, to, to do conservation or active conservation for species that are used by humans, um, you know, they are opposing to captive bread and, and commercialization and biocommerce and, you know, these, these hobbies are suffering a lot of uh, different uh, positions from people that doesn't understand why this is important. And um, in and so we are having troubles. Even as I said in the in the first series of the podcast, podcast, uh, we are having trouble in order to collect the species we do, we have the license for, because people are you know trying to put a lot of obstacles on us because they don't understand that that you know collecting the species, breeding them in captivity, releasing releasing. Not just the number we we collected, but releasing huge numbers through the years, through the following years, of animals uh, breeding captivity could actually help saving the species. So it's it's difficult uh, at this point to say if this strategy is going to work well in the future. But I don't know. At least uh, we uh, we now we have uh, several species that we are going to release in the next years, and hope hopefully we we can send our message of conservation to different persons that are currently opposing to to wildlife farming for for biocommerce and conservation purposes. Okay, I, I see I, that 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 answered my question. Um, how many more species and locales are you looking to work with in the next? few years because obviously new, new new ones become available and obviously that seems to be what what feeds the market because obviously people like um you know to have something that's that's new and that's readily available and that can be um, obviously readily available legally how many more species and locales are, are in the immediate future like what's what's the goal for that well we have a license that includes 23 species that nationally they you know the, the national authority um, after you know uh, doing the follow-up of our results 
they gave us to us because it's the, the, the biggest uh, license uh, uh, that is uh, given to a private um, project uh, of, the, of these characteristics. Uh, the problem is we have only been able to collect seven species in two years. We are going. We are asking for having a, a, another year, and so so we can add some more species. But uh, the time is is we you know the clock is ticking, and the time is really difficult to deal with the local authorities that they they will obstacle pull up obstac obstacles in order to to get the, the, the parental stock of this species. Okay, we are doing your job. We are working with this species. You are going to receive the offspring. You are going to receive the funding for releasing and do the follow-up of these uh, animals so you can show that you are doing your work without doing anything. But it's really difficult because if they don't, if they don't allow us to go there and, and, and get the parental stock, we can't use the national license. So at this point, I can only say we have only seven. And with those seven, we, we, we should, you know, uh, be able to live in the next years. Uh, we probably, uh, you know, end up having, I don't, I don't know, maybe nine or ten species because we are not going to have uh, too much time we don't have too much time left, so um, that's that's what is going to happen. Julio, my next question is for you, and I'm curious if you could just tell us, compared to other methods, I guess, wild caught or, or, or whatnot, what are the benefits of legally importing poison dart frogs besides, um, obviously, a reduction in demand for poaching, but... Like, why why legally imported farm frogs? Well, people that, you know, I would say, you know, with the larger faga, there's a, there's a niche market, you know, some people that keep those types of frogs. Um, there, there are people that keep stuff that are rare just because they want to brag about keeping stuff that are rare, but not because they really care about the animals or it's something that they really wanted before and, you know, really wanted to work with. Um, and the fact that you're getting legal frogs, hey, it means you don't have to hide it. You can, you know, take pictures, post it. Hey, you know, I got these legally, not a problem. You know, back in the, in the early 90s and late 90s, you know, um, stuff was coming in, you know, obviously illegal, but you can go to a pet store and get histrionica. Um, I remember going down to the West Village and they had his redhead histrionicas there for $50. You know, they were, I, you know, but no, back then nobody knew how to take care of them or anything like that. Um, you know, and then obviously when things got, you know, 2000 came around, I remember seeing a pair of red Lamanis for sale through the American Zoo Association. And those were $2,000 a piece, you know, at that point. And those were probably the last you know, red Lamanis that were sold probably publicly, I would say, in the U.S. And that's probably why they were so expensive, you know. And then after that, everything that, that we were able to obtain as far as large Ufagas, it's obviously nothing was legal at that point until Tesoros came along. Um, but, yeah, you didn't you didn't quite know what you were getting as far as, you know, you could have gotten all males. 
you could have got an, an animal that was pretty much, you know, on the verge of dying because it was too old. Um, you know, so we didn't we didn't know much as as far as like where you're getting, and of course the stuff that was coming in, there was no guarantee as far as like whether or not it would show up alive or not. Um, you know, if it died in transit, it died in transit. There's no money back given at that point. So, um, you know, so nowadays with Tesoros, like I said, you 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 know you get your frogs, you get a legal certificate of ownership, you know, and uh, it pretty much tells you that you know you don't have to worry about it. You know, U.S. Fish and Wildlife knocking on your door and taking your collection. So, it's got to do a tremendous amount of good for the u.s hobby as well because i feel like i mean you and i are similar in age you remember the early 90s and like the late 80s and just the stuff that came in was uh, crazy i mean some of some of the stuff that i remember seeing at shops when i was younger i mean stuff that i'll probably never see again but um i mean it's got to make people look more favorably upon this knowing that it's coming from this type of source you know rather than you know people People have like um, you know, kind of a, a prejudice against wild caught, and obviously, you know, wild caught is its own discussion. But um, I mean, having animals that are not really wild caught anymore, it, it's got to be like good PR for the hobby. I mean, have you? I mean, you know what? I mean, even the the, the BBC did an article about Tesoros. I think maybe about a year ago or something. I remember I saw it. And I actually, I texted it to you, and I was like, "Wow, this is awesome." I mean, public perception of this type of work has got to be benefiting hobbyists right as opposed to you know casting like a negative connotation the way like the kind of shady stuff happened like 20 30 years ago right yeah exactly i mean it, it gets to the point where you know like i said you now you don't have to hide your frog or hide your collection um you know before there was people that had kept histrionica were very you know or there was that group of his, people that kept histrionica but you would never see them posting anything you know, as far as like, look what I got, because obviously they were not legally obtained, you know, but nowadays, you know, because we, we get them legally obtained, obviously we can post pictures, um, you know, we're able to publicly share more information with one another, um, which is not, you know, before there was no such thing, you know, so, and that's probably why, you know, when, when it came to histrionica, um, there wasn't much information that was being shared because everything was just kept hush hush. You know, you don't know if you should tell this person, "Hey, look what I got," or this other person, "Hey, look what I got." What do I do with this? Uh, like, what's the best way to breed this? You know. So, you know, nowadays and especially through social media, things have gotten, you know, it's made the hobby grow. And because there's so many people that now keep, uh, you know, large obligates and legal large obligates and you know through information and sharing and all that um things have gotten a lot better and you know frogs are more widely available available as well so you know there's other people that are breeding them now so that makes things a lot easier and in terms of what you said as far as the bbc yeah, having an article about a year ago there was also an article in National Geographic about the Soros. You know, there was an article in the New York Times about the Soros. Um, you know, so it, they're, they've been getting pretty good press, you know, over the past couple of years. What's your take on that, Ivan? 
Well, <laughs> this is well. This is part of the of the of the dream coming true. You know, to to have this kind of impact worldwide on the on the hobby. I mean, what what I you know when I started you know thinking about you know working with frogs and with the hobby, I said, okay, there's a demand that is probably not not is not going to end unless is satisfied and it happens with most of the things that are extracted from the from the nature in order to be uh, uh, commercial uh, commercialized or sold but because somebody needs it or wants it and because they have the money to to pay for it so in this case um as i told you in the last podcast i i was completely uh surprised by the huge number of frogs that were poached in Colombia in order to be exported illegally. And so I said, why, why there is no a farm, you know, uh, covering this demand in order to stop the, the, the probable extinction of these, of these populations that are heavily affected for po from poaching. And, and then I started to, to do this. And then, you, as, as you said, we got uh, uh, the the media, the international media attention, and I have seen, you know, um, uh, articles in newspapers as far as, as as Taiwan, India, and New Zealand about the Soros. So it is incredible uh, how they see us in terms of what have we what have been uh, achieved by us just by doing something that, for me, in my case, I think it's logical. In order to to deal with with a with a with a, uh, a part of the biodiversity that Colombia has to offer or has been offering to the world, mostly illegally, but uh, that it can that can be turned into something that, that is uh, sustainable and legal. In in this case, frogs. But but there's you know we are sitting here in Colombia in a in an incredible you know amount of biodiversity that is only taken down in order to put some some uh, cultures of uh, uh, of plants or putting or open areas for cattle so the, it is incredible the, the 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 loss of biodiversity that is not used because it's not is not considered is not considered uh, valuable and in with with the soros we are uh, uh, calling the attention from from you know from from everyone that this this biodiversity that everybody is 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 killing is uh, destroying is uh, burning can have a, an an interesting value for other uh, parts of the of the world and we are losing the the richness the richness or the wealthy that was assigned to the ones that burn. That, that that was that that were born here in this country yeah it's i i have that article in my favorites on my phone and a lot of times when people ask me why do you do this why do you have these things and you know i show them the article and i say look you know just so you get the you know get the idea there's a lot of people that are working tremendously hard to eliminate poaching and eliminate all these factors that go into the, the the destruction of so many of these species i mean even locales within the species 
but at the same time, you know, you have to explain to people that like, look, the people that care the most about these frogs are the people who have the biggest vested interest in them. You know, it's, it's fellow hobbyists. I mean, even the AZA, the AZA's guidelines to amphibian husbandry in, in captivity base it extensively on private hobbyists. So it's nice to see that this hobby is well received um, by the public more so than um, a lot of other niche hobbies as well. I mean, especially like within the exotics world. I mean, I can't imagine being able to justify, you know, keeping tigers to people anymore, at least not after like the whole Tiger King thing happened. But, um, you know, this has a, 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 a much cleaner sense of purpose um, at least that, at least that's, that's what I take away from it is it's, it's more admirable than, um, hobbies that just kind of take. So I want to ask you a question, Ivan. I mean, obviously the profit margins aren't huge, but you're not driving a Ferrari, are you? I wish <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love cars. I love cars. I, I love animals. I love conservation, and I love cars. And you know, it's uh, it's uh, a pity that I'm not rich because I would love to have a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or something like that. Very cool. But the uh, something that some people that are close to me knows is that I I do race. I do race cars. You know, um, and I got uh, the opportunity to be completely sponsored by a couple of, of companies here in Colombia that pay for all my expenses. And um, I have several national championships. I, uh, I, uh, I am very good at racing, and this is why I got uh, all the support. And uh, the point is that I use that for, you know, mostly for keeping my my head uh, healthy i mean the mental health is really affected when when you have this amount of frustration permanently by doing such a project like tesoros so by racing cars i i i think i i i found my balance and uh, the, the best thing is that i got i get money out of it you know uh, apart from the costs of racing that uh, also will go to the projects that i that i uh, i support personally and 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 and, and the projects that, that we support through tesoros and the support of the uh, excuse me the the projects that are coming up uh, that are being supported by tesoros um funded by um less of it, um, oh i'm i'm I'm, my voice is going. I'm going to try not to butcher it. But um, we talked about La Reserva last night, right? And to Soros. What about um, like the, the the upcoming projects that I'm assuming some of the profits going to go back into? Um, I mean, you want, maybe we could end on that. Um, you know, what's going to happen into collecting and bringing Ufaga Silvatica into Tesoros? I know that's the ne- that's the next uh, upcoming project, right? Yes, well, um, as you know, I I I I, um, I show you the projects that we are f- uh, uh, funding, but from Tesoros and from myself. I mean, it's 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 a, it's one of my dreams to 
to become a philanthropist, a very poor philanthropist. But I mean, in, in my heart, I am one, even though I'm not rich. But uh, but at least we can we can share the some of the money that we we get from the frogs with communities that are protecting some of the population of these species in the wild. And also, as you as I told you, uh, we have this foundation in that that I run. Uh, that I created and I run here in Colombia that is called La Reserva Bio, Bio Park Foundation that runs a theme park that receives thousands of visitors and that keeps um, endangered species that are confiscated from by authorities and cannot be released back into the wild and also uh, 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 does the restoration of the high, very endangered uh, high Andean forest, which is an ecosystem that is being completely destroyed in Colombia. It's all, it's, it, you, you have only a few, uh, you know, like three or four percent of the original area that is left. Uh, we are not talking about fishes, we're talking about the whole ecosystem and all the species that live in there. So we are restoring that with the, with the money, with part of the money that I earned from the raising, part of the money that we get from visitors in, at La Reserva in Tesoros have been, you know, uh, putting uh, some money since 2015 uh, in the in the foundation in order to keep it running. As 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 you can imagine, during the the pandemic, the 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 lockdown for ten months almost killed the the theme park and the foundation. But thanks to Tesoros and that as Tesoros kept selling frogs. We were able to pay the fees and uh, for the uh, the salaries and the expenses to keep the 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 park alive and and right now it's it's, it's getting pretty much solid than, than than ever. So this is this is part of of where the uh, the, the 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 frog money will go. And um, and uh, looking into the future, we have uh, opened several projects that currently Tesoros are, uh, is funding in different parts of the country. We have, uh, we have uh, projects or, or that are currently uh, starting or, or are going to start next year in uh, more than 10 departments, which is like the, the which, are, which will be the states in Colombia, you know, in these departments, we we have we have uh, uh, we have found uh, a lot of needs that uh, funding for for communities or researchers or um, or land that need to be uh, purchased in order to protect species. Uh, just you know, just uh, I'm just going to name some in in Cundinamarca, which is the state in which the capital city of Colombia is located, Bogota. We are working on on environmental education program and, re and the Low Andean Forest Ecosystem Restoration Program. And in Caldas, we are where 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 is the 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 natural habitat for several Andinobates, but we are focused on the Andinobates opistomelas and the Dale Swansoni uh, endemic frogs habitat. We are we are working on on ecosystem restoration with the community. Um, we are working in the Amazon basin with uh, with the with the uh, uh, 
um, students from the from the Amazon University Predatological Group in order to protect the Amaregas, the Amarega species from the Amazon of Colombia in Tolima, as, as I presented in the American Frog Day, we are working with the community that is producing the best coffee in the world. You need to purchase some. And, and this coffee is, is going to help this, this community of thousand families in order to, in order to bring a better, better income for them so they they stop chopping the forest that surrounds the coffee production area and because that's the last ecosystem for the andinobares torisfanthony and andinobares tolimensis which are uh, two endemic species of frogs that are critically endangered uh, and uh, in 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 other um, departments like antioquia we are we are uh, offering uh, the local authorities to 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 help them with uh, also with high, with ecosystem restoration for the andinovares opistomelas and calcidi horne and for the silvarica uh, species the, the faga silvarica we are um, uh, uh, funding the, the some several research that are uh, um, Helping understanding the, the 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 status of the populations, the status of the knowledge of the genetical genetic uh, diversity, and also we have uh, started supporting a local foundation uh, in Nariño, uh, and we have sent several thousand dollars in order to purchase land for the protection of, of the Ophaga silvarica that still remains there. Um, everything has been done in order to uh, protect some species. We are going to put some more money on more projects throughout the country. We, are, we have discussed uh, the, the possibility of helping uh, an international research group the, of uh, uh, researchers from Ecuador and Colombia in order to work with the Silvarica. And of course, we, we, well, we have limited the funds because everything depends on the amount of frogs and the, and the price we, uh, which we sell them. Uh, but uh, we are really happy to, to share the money that we get, you know, in order to, to create not, not, not only the best way to stop the, the poaching of the frogs, but the best way to preserve them in an active way, including uh, the local communities. And we're going to talk about that and much more in, in part three. Um, I want to thank you guys so much for taking the time to to continue this with me. And obviously, you know, we're going to we're going to go on and discuss the, the future. We've discussed the present. Um, is there anything that either of you want to end down? I mean, um, Julio, anything else that you want to add before we um, before we break? Yeah, I mean, uh, Ivan's pretty modest when he talks about his his car racing and stuff. But you know, he's uh, he's pretty good friends with Juan Pablo Montoya. He started racing with him, you know. So he's uh, people always talk to him, be like, "Oh man, Ivan's making so much money on frogs and." All he does is raise go karts. I'm like, dude, <laughs> look, look, look who his teammate is, you know, and look who he's racing with. You know, it has nothing to do with that. Um, 
you know, it, it has nothing to do with the frogs, you know, and and on top of that, his wife is an attorney. So people think that, you know, it's just like, oh, I was doing all this stuff and, you know, but it's not coming from Tesoros. It's not money that's coming from Tesoros. Like he's telling you, Tesoros has been broke for quite a while. So, Well, if it makes you feel any better, I drive a Nissan Kicks, which is about the size of a a sneaker with wheels. So I'm not... I'm not breaking the bank either. Just, 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 just throwing it out there in case anybody was wondering about the millions of dollars I make off of this podcast. <laughs> it's not a glam. It's not a glamorous life, I guess. <laughs> as long as I got, as long as I have some fish, some fishing money, I guess that's that's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. I want, I want to add something. I want to. Um, uh, to to give a very huge and big thank you to Julio, who has been uh, a volunteer, as he said, to, for Tesoros, and he has helped uh, us a lot. You know, not only you know helping with the shipment, with the you know uh, with the PR, with the you know with his knowledge on 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 husbandry and dealing with the with the market, but also as a psychiatrist of keeping you know keeping the 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 faith in on this side of the of the of the caribbean we have been you know go, gone through very hard times and julio has been one of those persons and uh, that, that that have you know been very supportive and that he has visited he has come and with great words of support and um and you know julio and the other ones you they they know who who they are they have been you know completely uh uh, uh they are uh, uh the ones that have kept the soros alive through the through the through the difficulties that we have faced in the last years yeah you guys both deserve a tremendous amount of credit for everything that you've done so, no, 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 I mean it, I mean it, I mean it. Well, that's it for this this episode, and um, we're going to move on to part three next. But um, again, I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, you know, we've, we've done the past, we've done the present, we're going to get to the future next. So make sure you guys tune in, all right? Next episode, part three, going to be coming at you soon. Thank you all for listening. Catch up with you guys again next time. <laughs>